testing, one, two, one, two, testing, testing. I've been meaning to record for a few months now. I would say maybe two, but it's been a bit of a sabbatical and um, I'll explain why shortly. But it's good to be back. It's good to speak to my future ancestors. Ancestors? No, ancestors the other way around, isn't it? Future descendants and generations again. Hope you're doing well in the year. I wonder what year it is right now when you're listening to this. Right now the year is 2022. Today is December 13th. And I'm actually watching while watching this the World Cup semi-final between Argentina and Croatia. Which Argentina's winning and Messi might win his first World Cup. Given that I'm watching the World Cup, and this is a history archive, I might as well give um, some brief thoughts on it, given that the history is going to be written if Messi wins, which is very possible now. Messi won his World Cup, he's won every competition there is, this makes him the greatest. Now, it should go without saying that Messi is the greatest footballer we've ever seen, and I don't think, ugh, I don't want to be one of those old heads, like, we'll never see anyone as great as Messi, it doesn't seem like we will, because... We've seen great players now, Mbappe, Neymar, but Messi is just a class above. So I don't think we'll ever see anyone like him again, but we shall see about that. But um, winning the World Cup or not winning the World Cup is not going to make Messi's legacy. He's already the greatest without it. He's, um, he hasn't actually really played that well in the World Cup, to be honest. He scored a couple of penalties, although I say that now, he just did a nice triple. <laughs> and um, not much has happened in terms of Messi in this World Cup. So... I know that when they write the history of Pele, for example, the reason why a lot of people rate Pele so highly is because they said, oh, he won, you know, three World Cups, as though, you know, the World Cup he won when I was 18. I didn't watch much of it, but I would have loved to see it. That is why I'm doing this kind of thing, because I love to see ordinary, unbiased people's views about historical events. I hate just hearing about, you know, when the football historians write it, Messi, the great winning, you know, he he had and all that kind of stuff. Even when, you know, he was kind of... He wasn't a passenger. He was a very key player, but he wasn't the Messi we've been new and loved. So um, right now, it's very likely Argentina might win the semi-final. They're 2-0 up. And the star of this game has actually been Jose Alvarez, who looks very disturbingly like Kevin Gamero. And that's quite interesting. He's, a, he's probably the man in match at the moment. He's been, he's been their best player. So um, we'll see how that goes... So yeah, that's the World Cup out of the way. Uh, Ronaldo played in the World Cup. Um, didn't play very well. Scored one penalty. Apart from that, he actually had a very poor performance. And Portugal's best game in the tournament came when Ronaldo didn't, you know, was on the bench. They scored like five goals against Switzerland, I believe. So um, that's also something else. But again, these people's um, legacies are not determined by this World Cup. They've shown and you know shown themselves more than enough in club competition and previous competitions. What else do you have? Modric had a very good tournament. Mbappe had a very good tournament. Mbappe's team actually plays tomorrow in the semi-final against Morocco, who are actually the surprise of the tournament so far, being the first African team to reach the semi-final. Now, when people say Morocco as an African team, they kind of wince a little bit because um I don't think they even... <laughs> I think they forget sometimes they're African, but that's because we have a bias of Africans being, you know, black and dark skin or whatnot. And Moroccans look more like the Middle Eastern, which is not a real place. It's actually um, 
West Asia or something, isn't it? But anyway, good luck to them tomorrow. And um, let me get on with the rest of the podcast. Now, the main delay in me recording has been to do with some very annoying person on Twitter who I was waiting for to give me some analysis. But they never quite came through. Betrayal. It's very, very sad. So there was a documentary on BBC Africa, uh, I think two months ago, about the current, I guess you call it, insecurity crisis in northern Nigeria. Specifically, or acutely I should say, the states of Benue and Kaduna. Ravaged by what you call, um, what they're calling the herdsman crisis. So, um, essentially, the kind of general narrative of the insecurity crisis so far has been nomadic Fulani herdsmen have been rampaging through the country, some might say. Most people just say the northern states. And have been destroying lives and property for no reason other than because they can. And depending on who you listen to, people believe this to varying degrees they add some layers to it of their own conspiracy so if you're active in the kind of yoruba or whatsapp broadcasting you know group areas like my parents are what you hear about is that the fulani are trying to take over nigeria and they want to do this because they just want to you know control the whole country and because the president is fulani he's not going to leave that voice, that part of the podcast was interrupted by a spectacular messy assist. So um, forgive me. But like I said, my parents belong to that part of WhatsApp that believes that the reason why the Fulani herdsmen are wantonly destroying and killing people is because they're just savage, uneducated malams who know nothing else other than violence. And also that they want to take over Nigeria because the president's full of knee and he plans to take over the whole country by turn everyone full of knee and you know he's not going to leave after his term etc 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 now his term is almost over and his party is actually nominated obviously someone's replacing and it's interesting because if i was to ask my parents about you know you, you guys said he wasn't going to leave it looks like he's going to leave i'm sure they would just change the story again or just refuse to talk about it but anyway the documentary was kind of eye-opening because in as much as it was very informative, I still felt like it didn't answer the proper question of why is this happening? You know, what the documentary told us was essentially the conflict and the crisis brought down to two things. One, the Fulani herdsmen, maybe because of climate change or, you know, that kind of thing, the kind of uh, Boko Haram crisis, which kind of limited where they could graze, are struggling to find grazing lands for their for their livestock. And what's happening is they're increasingly going into farmland, which is tended by predominantly Hausa people. And so this is obviously causing a conflict because, you know, that's those people, that's their kind of um livelihood. And so there's a clash of <laughs> clash of civilizations, clash of cultures as you were, clash of lifestyles, clash of occupations and so this is causing conflict now i'm sure it's probably sometimes deeper than that but now what you have is essentially a wave of attacks and reprisals by both sides 
you know, typical mob justice kind of a Italian mob. You know, I kill one person, you kill two, I kill three, you kill five. I kill your uncle, you kill my cousin. And it just keeps going on and on and on. Now, it seems like based on this report, the BBC, if it's to be believed, and it seems very thorough because they interviewed a lot of people that were directly involved in it. The media has done a very terrible job in reporting this because even though I did see a Premium Times um, article probably four years ago about this herdsman crisis, which was very detailed in talking about how it's not just the case that the Fulani herdsmen are just, you know, savages who don't value human life and just want to kill as many people as possible, which was always very unlikely in the first place. But it's more to do with, like, they have actual serious grievances that are not being addressed because, again, because they are so nomadic and don't really have, you know, much of a sense of belonging in society, their views are just easily dismissed because it's not seen as, as important what they actually want. So, unfortunately, that's kind of what's been happening. But that wasn't really taken seriously. And I guess the general, maybe not even the media, but the general consensus, given that a lot of people digest information from social media, is that they were all to blame for it. And, you know, they're just attacking innocent house of people who just want to live and, you know, get on with their lives. But these full of knee savages just refuse to let them do that. And so they keep attacking them, etc., etc. When you watch the documentary, you know, a different narrative emerged, which actually showed that the House of People were very aggressive in, you know, some might, you know, they would say they're defending themselves, but from the Fulani people's perspective, they're offensive, you know, they're attacking. And unfortunately, they seem to have, very crucially, the backing of the, of the Nigerian military. In response to the House of People feeling attacked and besieged by the Fulani people, they decided to form these vigilante groups to, quote-unquote, defend themselves. Now, again, one has to comment on the fact that there's a part of a country, which is you know, a sovereign nation, in which people feel like they have to take up arms to defend themselves because why is the government and the police and, you know, the military, why are they not involved in, you know, keeping the peace? Why is that stuff devolving so badly? Which, again, it just talks to the absolute failure and lack of vision of the kind of leadership we have in Nigeria. That people don't think, if you just leave people to their own devices and have no sense of governance in the area, no police, no schools, nothing, eventually these people are just going to start doing what they want, you know, because there's no law to speak of, so they're just going to take the law into their own hands. Again, insane, unbelievable behaviour by some of the most thoughtless and brain-dead people we have on the planet. Anyway, the Nigerian military has been carrying out offensive operations against the Fulani herdsmen in concert with the vigilante groups. So when you have, for example, a report in the news that says Nigeria um, military repels attacks, kill 20 bandits, what they're talking about is you know, the military in concert with Hausa vigilantes attacking maybe an enclave or, you know, a group of herdsmen, you know, and the military is attacking them as though they're just, you know, they're the terrorists who need to be dealt with. So if you're working with one terrorist on your side to attack other terrorists on the other side, you know, eventually the herdsmen who are being attacked with, you know, with the vigilantes and the military, they're going to view the military as legitimate you know, targets, because they're involved, you know, they're very much involved in the war against them. 
what was unfortunate is that again no one actually really asked like what do these people want what is their actual grievance because obviously anyone educated enough knows that unless you're obviously like an islamic fundamentalist and a terrorist there's no reason why you would just be attacking people just to kill them for no reason i mean i guess even islamic fundamentalists attack people for a reason is because they believe those people are all you know heretics who are living a terrible way and they've you know committed themselves to a jihad i guess even that's a reason however crazy and lunatic it might sound but the documentary didn't go into enough detail there was an, there was an interview they did with one of the they called him bandit leaders, who's a Fulani man. His name was Addo Aleru, I think they called him. I'm probably not pronouncing it correctly, but um, forgive me. And he was saying, the government is not listening to us. He mentioned very briefly about the lack of opportunities in their areas, the lack of, um, you know, you know, water, the lack of food, people are hungry, etc., etc. But he didn't go enough into detail as to, you know, why. And, and again... The journalist didn't ask him, like, what's the government, is, you know, is the government listening to you? Are they speaking to you? Because he just kept saying, the government are not listening to us and we have to speak to them in a way that they're going to listen to, which is false. Because they're attacking us without hearing our concerns. Um, you know, we have to defend ourselves. That's how they see it. So that guy's been accused of a lot of massacres and stuff. And the way he sees it is that, again, he talks about the classic attack and, you know, counterattack. And, you know, they attack us and they kill 20 of our people. So we go on, you know, on a raid on one of their villages and we attack them and, you know, we capture a bunch of them and we go and basically execute them, which, you know, again, it's very barbaric. And you have to again ask, where's the government in all of this? We have brain dead, thoughtless people. Unfortunately, it's no surprise that there's no proactive stuff being done, just reactive. So um, they also mentioned the... Kaduna train attack which essentially was one of the trains that are running from Kaduna to Abuja was attacked by these bandits you call them and it, it held quite a few people captive and were holding them for ransom now they what was interesting about this attack is that no one actually asked what are the terrorist demands now of course we know this thing about they want money you know they're going to release them for ransom but no one asked why did they actually do this? Because that is obviously a lot more informative in preventing this kind of stuff ever happening again. Everyone just kind of went, well, you know, typical, they want money, they attack people, they're terrorists and thugs, and, you know, and I'm sure it's going to kind of um result in some kind of lucrative security contracts being given out for no reason. But um, there you have it. But even just the limited, you know, questions that the the um the documentary was asking kind of already just sh did a lot to shatter the current narrative about you know thoughtless savage Fulani herdsmen murdering people and wanting to take over the country people could see definitively after that 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 wasn't the case it was much deeper than that now whether or not he did a good job in you know expounding on how is the government actually mediating which is what the government should be doing between these two peoples to ensure that we don't have this kind of continuous violence. You imagine that the government is under a lot of political pressure, you know, to just kill them all. That's kind of, you know, the normal reaction to these things. And interestingly, because the government is Fulani, well, no, the president's Fulani, and he has a lot of Fulani people in his cabinet, people have actually accused him of being 
kind of weak on the terrorist, even though, <laughs> from what I just said, he's actually been a bit too heavy-handed in just being very, very aggressive because they have to be seen to be doing something, as it were. So sometimes when they'll capture a bunch of people and they'll try and rehabilitate them and say, you know what, let's just educate these people, show them this is not the right way. People are saying, why are you rehabilitating terrorists? They should be all prosecuted, which, you know, I guess there's a point to be made about prosecuting them. But if you want to go about building lasting peace, it's probably kind of better off if you're, you know, trying to, you know, provide some kind of amnesty because that's what's really going to make people going to tell people that if you give up your weapons we're going to arrest you and send you to prison they're probably going to be a bit more reticent in giving it up than suppose you say like let's negotiate a genuine lasting peace um so unfortunately that's kind of where the stuff is right now i would say the attack seems to have died down a lot i'm not sure if because the government is doing a better job to mediate or pacify the area or maybe the media is just not as interested in the narrative as they once were. But um, that's kind of where we are right now. And uh, it would have been nice to get the guy I was on an interview because he lives in northern Nigeria. So I wanted to get his take on the general, the general problems because... Because another thing that was quite... That is quite fascinating about the whole problem is that herdsmen, they're all over Nigeria. They're in Abuja even, the capital. And you don't see these kind of clashes. They're in other northern states. But what happens is that this, cri this crisis seems to be very, very acute to Benue and Kaduna state. Which leads you to believe that there might be some political, you know, machinations behind some of this. You know, if herdsmen are all over the country and there's more than one northern state... Why is there not the same problem in Joss and um, my Dugari? Well, Benue is in my Dugari. Do you have a lot of violence there? But there are other northern states, is my point, in which this is not really much of an issue. And there's actually been some articles written about how some northern states have been able to, you know, make um, cattle ranches and stuff that's been very useful in basically reducing the kind of... Um, confrontations between the herdsmen and the farmers that's been causing a lot of grief it seems in the in um, in Kaduna and Benway but why this is not implemented in Kaduna I'm, I'm not too sure but that's kind of um where I'm going to leave this just wanted to get that out there and uh, unfortunately I couldn't get that interview which has been very informative but um I'll leave it there call this a kind of um brief update and um I'll speak to you hopefully much sooner than I did last time.